Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Dead Rock Stars with Mick Wall and Joel McIver. All right, here we go, everyone. Welcome to yet another fantastic, matchless episode of Dead Rock Stars. Now, today, Mick Wall, my dear friend, who's also here helping me, we are oh, going to... Oh, sorry, am I the help? <laughs> we are going to talk am about... Am I here helping you? Oh, yeah, that's gonna... good. Well, i tell you what, you, you fire away, We're gonna, um, if and I, I'll, uh, I'll help if when I, I can. If I need you, you'll say a few words, yeah? All right, good. Possibly. So, in my mind, the uh, rock stars that we've covered in this series so far, uh, which have been sort of of hugest impact, have been uh, Bowie and Freddie, I would say, when it comes to the rock star world. The only other person in my mind who matches those uh, luminaries, who is no longer with us, is, of course, the great... Minneapolis resident, Mick Wall. Oh, sorry, am I... Um, do you I'm need a, some help? I, I, that was all a massive build-up. You need some help? Yeah, could you help me? What's the name of the dude? Oh, hang on, let me look on Wikipedia. Um, Prince? What was his full name? You said I'd only be here to help, not actually, you know... When you finish sweeping the floor, yeah. tell me who it is. Yeah. What was his actual name? His name was... Prince Rogers Nelson. So, his name was Prince Nelson, you know, when, Lord, he, when he wrote a Lord, check. His father was Lord Nelson. When he wrote a he check... he was Prince Nelson. Or, or, you know, did something, he wrote, filled out his address on the, when they wanted to deliver some milk to Paisley Park. When he, he was doing P. the, Nelson, when he, when that he was doing the f- football pools. Right, P. Nelson, is that how he's Yeah, his name is actually Prince. All right, good. Like Madonna's his name, name is, is Prince, actually, and he is funky. And... Uh, and like Madonna's name is Madonna. Right, well, I've been very much looking forward to this. Mick has written a very well-received book on Prince. I have not, but I will say that I've been listening to Prince for many, many years, especially in his uh, pomp, 86 to 91, 92. Would you say that was when he was at his uh, finest creatively? Mm, not necessarily. Come on, no. let's have it then. I don't think there was any one period where he was spectacularly better than any other. What's your favourite Prince song? I hate it when people ask me that because I don't have a favourite right, album what's or a, a favourite song that you group like or... by Prince. Mm, 1999. Oh, I love that song. Well, that falls out of the period you were just discussing. Very much. I think 99 was something like 1984, that album came out. 1982. 82. 84 was Purple Rain. Of course. Right. But I also like Want to Be Your Lover, which okay. was his very first single in 78, 79. With the Off the For You album? His debut? Is that what it was called? Oh, yeah, of course it was. Second one was called Prince. Yeah, because it's Prince, I was immediately thinking of Figure 4 and a U. But it was actually F-O-R-Y-O-U. F-O-R-Y-O-U. Yeah. (laughs) And also, what was it? Dirty, Dirty Mind. I saw him in New York around that album, and I also saw him at the Lyceum in London. Wow. And that was when he was coming on stage in the Stockings and Suspenders and the Dirty Mac. It was absolutely fabulous. And you really got the feeling that he was thoroughly enjoying himself and just having great fun. It wasn't yeah. that he was mental, you yeah, know, right. which is kind of what people started to think about him later. Yeah. He had a great sense of humour. I, I met him at the Ritz in New oh, York. Oh, fucking hell. We're going to have fun with this. All right, listen then, yes, I would yes. like you... To talk to me about his, well, his rise. No, so I mean? Can we redefine well, my role uh, in this? Uh, my glorious, glamorous assistant. Is that is that a promotion? 
No, it fucking isn't. How about my terrifying overlord? Would you prefer that? Yes. Would that make you feel better? Yes, please. All right. So All if right. you could address me, actually, right, as your terrifying... Lord Mick of Walshire. Your... Did you meet him? Your... Your... Um, terrifying... Terrifying overlord. Yes. Yes, Joel, you have my attention. Did you meet Prince Rogers Nelson? Mingle? I did, more than once. God damn it. I want to hear those stories. I said to him, I'm sorry I'm not talking. Mm. No, no, I met, I met him for the first time at a club called The Ritz in New York in about October 1980. And... Was he taller than you? <laughs> uh, no. No, he wasn't. Prince was like five foot two. Well, that's what I meant. <laughs> Come on! You know, he gets upset when I rip him a new arsehole, but he's really begging it for it now, isn't he? Pray continue. Your... You met him? Your... <laughs> your um, what did we say? You know Tant- what we tantalising s- overlord. Okay, gay lord. Okay, that's it. I'm out. I'm getting my coat. I'm fucking <laughs> off. You getting your dirty mac? He was five foot two in his heels. Yeah. And I am, as any fool will let you know, just under six feet. Yes, <laughs> just under. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> About five inches or six inches under. Anyway. <clears throat> The Ritz in New York was kind of like held about a thousand people. It was a bit like the music machine in London or the Camden Palace. Can you stop doing that when I'm talking? Because I can hear you slurping. He has a good point. Yeah. Thank you, Joel. Yeah. Thank you. You're... (laughs) Okay. I was there. Actually, I'd arrived there as the PR for Black Sabbath. This was in, I want to say, 1980? And... It's like, it's, I was going to say VIP. It's, in no way is this a VIP. It's just the balcony at the Ritz, and over at those tables is the artist still known as Prince. Yeah. And so um, I said, Pete Mikowski, the famous Pete Mikowski. Hello, mate. And so we wandered over. He's like, all right, mate, I'm Pete. This is Mick. I'm from Sounds, and he's Black Sabbath's PR. All right, mate? <laughs> and Prince is like, yeah, I'm OK. I am mm. kind of mystical. Oh, was he a dick already? I think he was genuinely like, what the fuck? Because he's sitting there with no shirt on, <laughs> underpants, stockings and suspenders, and he's pouring with sweat because he's just come off stage. And we're basically telling him he's brilliant. Nah, you're fucking great, mate. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. You know. <laughs> if I'm right, he was 22 because he'd been born in 1958. Yeah, so he, he was a kid. I mean, he, he, Prince and I were almost exactly the same age, right. born just weeks apart. Yeah. Which is why we have this close connection. You're practically twins. Pretty much, yeah, except I was the taller one. You were the tall one, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So it was a non-event, if you like, because that was the week we saw Bowie in Elephant Man and we Mm. had front row seats. You know, that was the week we did all kinds of crazy stuff and Prince was a complete unknown. So we kind of felt we were doing him a bit of a favour. That's amazing. All right, mate. Yeah, you weren't bad. I've got to write a review. I've got to write a review. You're going to go a long way, my son. Clap him on the back. Six, seven months later, he comes to London for his first show at the Lyceum. Mm. And Warners took in a sort of coterie of journalists because there was hardly anybody there from the music press. He was so ill-considered that I think there was about three of us. And we got taken back, I think because they were desperately trying to show him they were doing something with the press, you know. Yeah. And he was really normal, quite funny. You could Friendly, chat. you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. I mean, he'd at least put some trousers on at this point. Did you say this was a few months later? So it was still in... Literally, same tour, same album. So 81. Yeah. I loved Dirty Mind. You know, there was a ludicrous picture of him on the cover. 
And, of course, there's a whole history of ludicrous pictures of Prince now. But at the time, this is 1981. This is, you know, um, Spandau Ballet. Right. and Duran Duran coming out. Duran Duran, yeah, yeah. I first, guess, first time yeah, was that year. Yeah, 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 something like that. Yeah. And here's this... He just looked like a, a weird alien from outer space. He looked good, though. He did, but not in a cool way. They couldn't. He wasn't new romantic. He wasn't punk. He wasn't heavy metal. Plus, you'd had P Funk and a bit of sort of you know no, Sly Stone. You kind of had some th- of that. Those things weren't in the music papers in those days. Yeah. We're talking about Joy Division. Well, you know, okay. You know, this I was is just thinking Ian, of a precedent. This the is way Ian he Curtis died for you. Yeah. Now, this is this is the real militaristic, <clears throat> fascistic element of the new wave and punk mm-hmm. that I hated. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's how I ended up gravitating more to rock bands yeah. because they were the entire antithesis to that kind of really uniformed the rules. Kind I of remember thing. sitting in Sounds editorial meetings; they would snicker. Prince and they did, they couldn't take it seriously. I mean, a because he was black. Yeah, really, it was that. Oh well, no. Listen, the whole the whole world, the whole music. How many black artists did the NME write about over the years? You know, right? Stevie Wonder, Sly Stone, Jimi Hendrix, and mm. you know, obviously some others, but not every week. Mm-hmm. And Prince is what? No one knows what he is. Is he rock? Is he soul? Is he fuck? He's like, he's just fucking weird, isn't he? Yeah, he'll be gone. This time next year, we won't even remember. And Prince, I mean, what a shit name. I mean, it was a shit name. It really was. Was there no love in the press for him? None, apart from me and Sandy Robertson on Sounds. Mm. Uh, Pete Mikowski liked him, but Pete by then had left the whole music writing thing behind. I think he was living in Thailand. He really was. Um, Yeah, yeah. And someone on the NME, whose name I can't remember, but he wrote a really sarcastic, scathing Not review. Not Paul Morley. No, it wasn't an easy-to-remember name. Okay, right. But it was just, I think I, mine was the only good review. You deserve credit for that. Well, it, it does yeah. make it sound like I'm after credit. I'm not. I'm just expressing the astonishment mm. that I now look back on those days and, and think how everybody missed him. Dead rock stars. So much love. So much love. And so, in fact, by the time you get to the 1999 album, he still is not being taken seriously in the press. Chris Salovich did a fabulous piece on him for the NME, and even that was like, who does he think he is? You know, they they just couldn't get with it. He wasn't serious enough for them. What was it that irked them? Was it the sexual stuff? Yeah. Yeah, Okay. Yeah. I mean, the Dirty Mind album was aptly named. Well, he had that song Sister, didn't he? Yeah, which is specifically about incest. Fucking your sister, yeah. That is bizarre, isn't it? I mean, when did fucking your sister, you know, become an issue? (laughs) When was it part of polite conversation? Yeah, I mean, that is kind of... I can't really think fondly back to that kind of stuff. Oh, shut up, you prude. Well, no, I'm a bit prude. You never met his sister, did you? I am quite prude. She was smoking. She was smoking. 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 Um, And also, listen, all joking aside... Oh, sister! He was joking. He was fucking with you. Mm, Well, not with you. He was playing against stereotypes, and he was looking... You know, his, his album after Dirty Mind was called... Controversy, controversy, controversy. I love that song. You know, people hated Bowie when he came out and said he fucked men. You know, mm. oh, how wrong? Yeah, how yeah. shocking. Yeah, I'm shocked. You know, <laughs> I'm offended. I'm very offended. 
<laughs> this guy Prince that no one's ever heard of. He's got a, a track on an album no one's ever heard of, and it's about having sex with his sister. Oh, I say, I never want to hear any more about him. <laughs> and what's his name? Pont. Oh no, Prince. Know, Prince. Yeah. That's terrible, isn't it? So it, it smacks of small-minded mm, Britishness. Bullshit. England's like that. Still is, some might say. But um, here's the point. The real point is, he's a super talent. Mm. And yeah, they're finding it hard yeah. to pigeonhole him because he is hard to pigeonhole. Yeah. He's rock, he's funk, he's soul, he's black, he's Was there white. anyone like him before him who blended black music with white rock and was black? Was there anyone like that? Jimi Hendrix. Wow, yeah. Sly Stone. Phil Liner tried it, mm. but it wasn't any great success. You know, the, the famously Whiskey in the Jar, the B-side of Whiskey in the Jar was Black Boys on the Corner. Yeah. Which... And they flipped it. The record company flipped it. That was going to be the A-side. That was his next big musical statement. Yeah. And the B-side was just a throwaway version of Whiskey in the Jar. And they flipped it. And it fucked him up, except Whiskey was a hit. Fleetwood, Never Mark. played it live. Never played it live. So, yes, there'd been lots of precedents before Prince. Jeff Beck played with Stevie Wonder. Little Stevie Wonder. In so, fact, Superstition was written for tune. Jeff Beck. What a tune. Well, that was written for Jeff Beck, and then Stevie Wonder said, no, this is too good. Sorry, Jeff. I'm having it. So fuck yourself, Jeff. Prince, who was signed to Warners at the age of 17 which says quite a lot. And then his second album, Prince, I don't think For You was a massive success. It was the second one, Prince, that was a big hit. He produced, he played the instruments, he even clicked the camera shutter for the cover shot because they jokingly said to him, why don't you take the fucking cover picture down? And he did. There is more background to that. He was mentored in the studio for a long time. Larry Graham. Yeah, Larry oh, Graham. Right, so he was, he was a collaborator with Larry for years in, in the later part of In the career. later part of they his career. They had that whole weird Jehovah's Witness thing together. But Larry, of course, was in Sly and the Family Star. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's like, well, we've signed this guy. He's 17, he's 18. He's going to play all the instruments, mm. write all the songs, produce it and arrange it. No, I don't fucking think so. Oh, you don't so. think it was arranged by him? Let me finish. Oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry. Yeah. So they went, mm-hmm. let's get Larry in mm. and, you know, get a grown-up in the room. <laughs> and uh, and after a few weeks, Larry said, kid's genius. Yeah, right. Doesn't need me. And they went, oh, okay. Mm-mm-mm. And from that came, I want to be your lover. And that was his first big hit. Mm. On the album, it's like six minutes long. And the single, of course, is like three minutes long. Yeah. It's a perfect nice pop soul yeah. record. They talk about the Minneapolis funk sound, as you well know. And as I understand it from reading interviews with the various producers, that or Prince produced his own stuff, but people who were with him, what you had was a well-established funk and soul heritage in Minneapolis. But what Prince did was replace the horns with keyboard stabs, right? So when you've got... Right? That's a keyboard replacing the horns. And that was very much Prince's sound. That was his sound. And that was his innovation, so I hear. And that was what grabbed people's imaginations. People loved it. Synth stabs were very much the order of the day, right, in the early to mid-80s. And when you allied that to his sort of grasp of a rock riff, there you go. There was Prince's uh, modus operandi. I'm not doubting your word. I'm just not personally aware of any great funk tradition in Minneapolis. Well, it it had a black community which made black music, so that's what I mean. I'm not saying there's a whole list of chart topics from that. Because... Prince was really fond of FM rock radio. Yeah. 
his influences were really across the board. I mean, hence the obsession with playing great rock guitar. There's a phrase these days, white famous, which means you're a black artist, but your fame transcends mm. just having a black audience. It goes to a much broader mainstream audience, a white audience, mm. and that's when you become white famous. That's a thing now. And Prince always wanted to be white famous. His big break was, it was a disaster, but it was meant to be one of his big breakthrough shows was opening for the Rolling Stones at hmm. the LA Coliseum. When was that then? This is like 81. Oh, really? I think probably on, on the yeah. Tattoo You tour. Yeah. And two nights, and it was an unmitigated disaster. Hmm. This was just on the arse end of the Disco Sucks era. Yeah. And the... 99% white audience in so-called liberal California booed him off the stage wow. and they actually had to close the set after about three or four songs. God. He walked off in tears. It's the LA Coliseum, 70,000 people. Yeah, right. And refuses to come back. And Jagger personally begged him to come and do the second show because he said he would never put himself through that again. So he came and did the, uh, the second show... It looked like it was going to go the same way, mm. but he toughed it out and he got the band to literally just jam like fuck mm. uh, and played the arse off the guitar and kind of won a lot of the audience over. I don't think any of that audience were running out buying his records the no. next day, mm. but he didn't get booed off and he walked off to some sort of applause. That's a mad story. It is a mad story, but, you know, that's Prince. And, yeah. uh, and also, when you talk about the banks of keyboards, you're absolutely right. That's That's a brilliant call you've made there well it's not my original observation but uh well you hear that most for the first time most effectively on the track 1999 yeah. now in the early 80s particularly in britain but also america to a great extent you mainly found out about artists that weren't on the pop charts through the music press mm. and no one found out about prince through the music press they found out about it through 1999 and that spectacular video he did. And I can remember me and my friends looking out for it on... on was Channel 4 even going? I can't, probably, I can't remember. Yeah, I think it was by then. The Tube mm. or some of those weird... Uh, Rick Wakeman had a show called Gas Tank. <laughs> you probably don't remember that, do you? I never even heard of it. Gas Tank. You must Google that. Rick Wakeman... Yes, <laughs> it was like 1982, and it made the old grey whistle test look like you yeah, know right. anarchy or whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah. look like a space launch. Right, right, um, right. But we remember seeing it, and it was just amazing because it was spectacularly exciting and very sexy. And this is where I think he borrowed a lot from Sly and the Family Stone because you've got black guys, white guys, black girls, white girls, and the music is similarly configured you know in a, in a multi multi colorful yeah. strand way that video you get the two girls on keyboards yeah. both dressed in their lingerie was that wendy and lisa at this point or was that... i think one of them was lisa but the other one was just hot blonde babe yeah, yeah. they're pretty much dancing or well, swaying they're swaying mm. together it's like mixed swaying at with this someone point. like to you know so exciting yeah, yeah yeah you know this was very much a dummy run for Purple Rain. So he had it figured out. He absolutely knew where he was going and what he wanted to do. Mm. And yes, he cherry-picked the best of the local musicians. But at the same time, he was also forming 
associate groups. You know, he was working with artists on their albums. He was writing songs for dozens so the of time, other people. The time was the, the was one band of them. He'd been a, Morris Day was the leader of that band, and he'd worked alongside yeah. them, right? Yeah. Oh no, 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 no. Prince put them together. Uh, okay. Yeah, these are, these are all dreams Prince had. Apollonia. Yeah, that was Vanity the, Six. Yeah, he shagged all of them. I'm sure he did. And made great Multiple records with them. Yeah. But he also wrote hits for people don't know this. He wrote hits for Stevie Nicks. He wrote Sheena hits, Easton. Sheena Easton famously, who he also shagged. Did he? Of course he did. This He's like Prince. being at school. This is like being at school. Did you know he shagged her? He did. Of course he, he did. Prince shagged more people that he worked with than almost well, anybody else I can think of. It's amazing, isn't it? But also Chaka Khan. Chaka Khan? That one. I feel for you or whatever it is. Of course. It is called I feel for you. That's Prince. That Prince wrote Prince. that, produced it. He used to do a lot of these things with pseudonyms. He wrote Manic Monday. He wrote for Get the Bangles. Get the fuck yeah. away. All right, who, so he wrote... who he also shagged. Did he? Oh, come on. Did he? And, of course, very famously, Sinead O'Connor, which he didn't produce, but did write for another group, not his own. So the point is made, he he not only uh, had his own career, he managed and uh, made a great success of many other bands' careers. Can I just say about Sinead O'Connor? You may, yes. He had nothing to do with that record. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Am I telling you you things you know? Well, she just covered it, didn't she? She she didn't just cover it. And her version was better. She reinvented it. His mm. version is nothing compared to Sinead's. Mm. I'd like to say that again. Prince's version is nothing. I think, <laughs> I think when he saw the video, <laughs> he rang Sinead yeah. and he said, my version is nothing compared, compared to, to you. Your, to yours. To you. No, to you. Yeah, right. And invited her to his mansion, Paisley Park, I think because he was thinking of a bit of, you know, collaboration. And she famously wasn't having any of it. Mm-hmm. And he told her off for being, I think, of all things permissive or, uh, mm-hmm. you know, not, not being respectful. And she apparently punched him right in the chops and stormed off. Fucking brilliant. Yeah, right on Sinead. She's great, that woman. She punched Prince she punched in his Prince. purple puss. Well, sounds like he fucking deserved it. Of course he fucking deserved it. <laughs> Fuck that guy! <laughs> Dead rock stars lobbing light grenades into the gloom. We're talking about a man of incredible voluminous talents. I don't know if voluminous is the word that applies. I'm saying it, though. I've read your stuff. Yeah? That's you what to I'm get, saying. You managed to get through it. No, voluminous look, are we right? Are we right in saying that his, he exploded onto the worldwide scene with Purple Rain? That was when it all... I think that was when he burst onto the scene. Yeah, OK. I think that's when he exploded... Did the film come at the same time as the album, or was it a bit later, or what was the score? Um, 1984. Now, I remember this very, very well, mm. because I was a champion of that record and that movie. Crusher Jewel, yeah. who was the designer on Kerrang! And magazine. legend, rock legend. Well, legend to be. He wasn't in 1984. In 1984, he was still Steve Jewel, and he wore these glasses that looked like your grandmother's, and mm. it was me that dragged him out of his shell and started calling him Crusher. He did have that as a nickname, but no one ever used it because, honestly, this was like visiting your auntie when you saw him, mm. Steve or mm. Stephen. Mm-hmm. It was later that he then developed this wonderful persona, but it was already there, the craziness. And the Krang office was in Covent Garden. Of course, no social media, no video even. Yeah. So if you wanted to see the movie, you went to the movie theatre and it was showing in Leicester Square and it was on for about a month. And Crusher and I went to see it nine times. Oh, wow. Three of those times tripping heavily. Really? Yeah. Like falling over things? 
Well, the third time, Crusher was evicted from the theatre <laughs> because he was literally running round the whole thing. He was having a freak out, running round, going, "Rock, rock, rock, yeah, yeah!" And I'm going, "Cool it, man, cool it, man, dude." Calm down, are you English? The, p- the pigs. And they can see. So literally, these ushers, these like old lady ushers, are running after him with torches on the Sit screen. Down, young on man. the screen, it's, you know, when doves cry, dim, 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 dim. Yeah! Yeah! And all these torches following him. Finally, they get him, tackle him to the ground. And don't forget, he's tripping on heavy duty He's quite tall, isn't he? He's a big lad. Isn't he? He's quite tall. Maybe he's grown since those days. Come on, continue with the story. Are you sure you weren't tripping? Come on, so they wrestled him to the ground and that was the end of it. Threw him out. So I'm left there on my own, tripping out of my brain, thinking... uh, Sure, that's not legal. Surely there's some way out of here. There Uh, must be some kind of way out of here. Yeah, and there wasn't. I stayed till the end, found my way to the tube somehow. Mm. uh, But that's another story. The point is, is we became obsessed with the movie and the album and... Uh, it was all simultaneous because When Doves Cry was the first single and, and the video the video for Of course, it Cry, has bits of the film in it. it. All of the film is in it. <laughs> you know, it, It's like a trailer for the movie. The bit on the bike and all that stuff, that's all in the movie. Can I tell you my favourite scene? Is it the bit where she... Yes. First, you have oh, to sorry, purify yes. yourself in the waters of Lake Minnetonka. And she does, first removing her top. Now, I was 13 or something when this Wasn't film came out. Wasn't it all her clothes? I thought it was all her clothes. No, she retains, the, she retains the bottom dignity. Does she? Me I don't my, think she retains much dignity. Me and my friend Phil, I'll give my friend Phil a big name check here, who introduced me to Prince and was a huge, huge Prince fan. He had it on video. And we would incessantly watch that scene in our feverish little teenage way. She had... She, she was, was a big bone girl. Insanely beautiful, that woman. And, uh, yeah, uh, that was my moment. I yeah. tell you, I, I was very confused and happy about that for many years to come. Well, I ended up having the movie on video and watched it about another hundred times. Mm. And I have to say, Pause button broke. she was in many of my favourite scenes. But yeah. mainly, you know why? Do tell. Good singer. Oh, she's a great singer. Yeah. <sighs> but, that was a, but, that, but that was a great movie. And don't forget, he wrote that. It's unexpectedly a great movie. Surely the odds would be stacked against it. Oh, you know? it should have been absolutely. And yeah, it was shit. great. He got an Oscar for it, didn't he? Yeah. As well as the, the associated Grammys and stuff. But that film was... So outrageous, so brilliant, so not really that true, I don't think. Yeah, but that, you know? when has truth had anything When's to do with... When's interfered with a good film, right? You see, that, well, mm. the thing is, there's truth, and then there's ultimate truth. Man, that's deep. Well, you can watch The Simpsons and go, well, it's just a cartoon. No, mate, there's a lot of truth going on here. Mm-hmm. Why I think that movie was so ultimately brilliant was because, of course, it was ridiculous yeah. and over-the-top and hilarious... But that time when you see him on stage, he's got no shirt on. He's got a blindfold. Oh, yeah. And he's singing and doing... That, to me, is truth. Because that ain't an MTV video. That's actually him on stage doing something he would do on stage. He's also... You want to look for deeper levels. He's also referencing Jimi Hendrix's performance at Woodstock, Mm. where he had a guitarist on stage a black guitarist on stage, completely blindfolded. Especially if you're tripping. You know, <laughs> you can find a lot of significance in that movie. There's truth in there! I, I like it, man. Truth! And, and there's that whole thing with him and Morris Day. And uh, what was the club called? Fifth, Ninth Fifth Avenue? Avenue? Fifth Avenue? Fifth. I always wanted to go there and see the beautiful people who were rather different from rural Somerset, where I was grown up, <laughs> uh, surrounded by pig farmers and their offspring. Um, the album, pig Purple Fuckers, Rain, uh, which... Cock cheese. Yeah. And... Um, the album starts with Let's Go Crazy, which has that 
all-time great intro. Dearly beloved. We're going Dearly beloved. To, to get through this thing called Life Electric Word. Life means rare. It's my long time. And at the end of that song, he does that insane Eddie Van Halen style solo. <laughs> I don't remember that. Go straight into. Are you sure you weren't tripping? Go straight into Darling Nikki, as I recall. Yeah. Another amazing song which had a very rude about word in it. About masturbation. It did. It had. I met her in the hotel lobby. Where she was masturbating with a magazine. Yes. Yeah. And uh, apparently that was quite shocking at the time. Enough for. I'd say that was fairly shocking now. Who was that? Can you imagine if you're watching. I'm Not that I would. You'd have to stab me in both eyes if you caught me. But if you're watching The X Factor. So what are you going to do for us, love? I'm going to do uh, Darling Nikki yeah. by Prince. Oh, yeah. go for it. A man is the killer called Nicky. Masturbating with the man. Oh, oh, you can't say that. Yeah, right. Because I've never masturbated. Um, Where was I going with that? Typical. PMRC took objection. He was one of the filthy 15. They mentioned that line in court. Mm. I was. Imagine shaking American American me. Hey, I was uh, reading this with my daughter. I I was reading the Bible with my daughter. and (laughs) Bible study class. She showed me. A, uh, the lyric sheet from this album. M word. And I, I couldn't believe my eyes. I had to seek therapy from I'm my shocked, therapist. Barbara, I'm shocked. I mean, I just had to drop another quaalude and have a whiskey. Oh. And, I mean, yes, I often masturbate with magazines, but I wouldn't put it in a song and play it to my children of God. <clears throat> I wrote a, a long piece once about the Parents Music Resource Centre, PMRC, yeah, from Metal yeah. years ago. And uh, it was a big piece on censorship in music, so I went back to Elvis and so on and so on. And when I got to the 80s, it was just hilarious, this nonsensical <laughs> satanic panic that had America up in arms, certain parts of America, not the more liberal parts that we know and love. And Prince, of course, you look back now, God, it's all so innocent. Yes, he wore a G-string, and yes, he used the word masturbate. Oh, my God. Were we all idiots back then, or what? No, of course not. That's why nine million people bought that record and why he won an Oscar for the movie. Yeah. People in the PMRC, they were the idiots. And, of course, you know, it's it's news. Politicians. It's a link Never on TV them. or the news channel, you know. Tipper Gore. Tipper Gore. Al Gore's wife. Yeah. Why they didn't tell her to fuck off, I don't know. Do you know what? People did tell her to fuck off because mm. none of these careers ended. You know, the irony was, the sweet irony was that as soon as you got one of those stickers on your record, it was like a badge of honour. Yeah. It's like now, these days, I mean, I, I sit at home and you're watching TV and it goes, uh, the following programme contains scenes mm, of sex and violence. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, no, sex and... I'm like, booyah! Is it? This is my shit! <laughs> this is my people! Excellent! <laughs> I only want programmes that have sex and violence... From and the outset. ...disturbing scenes <laughs> from the outset and <laughs> filthy language! From the credits. From the outset. In the credits. You want that I know, shit. You it's want just that bollocks, shit. Isn't it? This was the era of Mike Reed refusing to play relaxed by Frankie as well. I hated all Even when I was 12 years old, I knew this was all bullshit. Dead Rock Stars with Mick Wall and Joel McIver. Sign of the Times, there was an accompanying VHS release called the Sign of the Times tour. I tell you where he did fail was that there were never any movies after Purple Oh, he Rain did Graffiti Bridge. That was bollocks. And he did Under a Cherry Moon. Mm-hmm. That was also bollocks. Purple Rain was a complete one-off. You could say that the fact that it was given no chance, done on a shoestring budget, yeah. kind of worked. Whereas after that, he was given millions to make movies. And of course, there's uh, a lesson I mean, there I'm for sure, us. I mean, wasn't that in black and white as well? And, Might have been. Yeah. I watched half of it and switched off. Do you know what? I didn't watch any of it. 
And I'd been to see Purple yet- Rain nine times while tripping and had the video, like, worn out at home. I just wasn't tempted to see any of the things that came later because so, they tell they reeked of bollocks. Damn straight. So what I will say, though, is that this live video of yeah. Sign of the Times was amazing. Yeah. Right? I don't know where it was shot. I can't remember. Someone will know. You can Google it. It was the full two-hour concert. They were all there. Sheila E. was on spectacular form. He had a full-on car he on stage. Well, yeah. He had a uh, he had a basketball hoop and he was chucking basketballs through it. Well, he was a basketball player as a kid. Right. You know, one of the reasons he became good at basketball was because he was very, very short mm. and would have the mickey taken out of him at school. Right, right. So he grew an afro particularly high to make himself appear somewhat taller. Right. And then in basketball, where he was clearly expected not to do well because he was so short, he was mental. He, he was like Speedy Gonzalez. He'd be up and down the court. Hey, 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 hey. Going. Hey, 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 hey. Oh, the uh, high heels that he wore his entire life, I always thought were a bit tragic, but there you go. Listen, nobody's perfect. Well, no, there is that. Uh, I have a funny story about that, actually. I, I, I interviewed uh, one of his drummers from much later on in the 2000s, and for the purposes of Prince's creativity, his band were resident in the studio, <laughs> right, in Paisley Park. Oh, right, of course, yeah, And they yeah. would be sleeping downstairs in the studio where Prince's bedroom was upstairs. And they knew to get the fuck up and ready to play when they heard this <laughs> on the ceiling above them. Because what had happened was that Prince had climbed out of bed, put on his high heels and were going across the floor. Do you know on the... You Couldn't have just put some trainers on everyone else, you know. You mentioned the Sign of the Times tour. Oh, yeah, great. I knew, I knew one of the wardrobe ladies on that tour because she did yeah. Def Leppard and all kinds of things. you say you knew her? No, literally just, you know, because in those days I was always on a different tour mm. and you got to know caterers and wardrobe people mm. because they would all turn up. And it didn't matter which band you were with, as long as you knew those people, you knew you'd be looked after. You say and looked after? She had these pair of glasses because <laughs> he'd started wearing glasses. Yeah. And she'd nicked them from his dressing room because he had like dozens. Yeah. And of course they weren't glasses, they were pure just Gla- straight through. They just like he just yeah. liked the affectation, and she said, "What's bizarre is that on that whole tour, this is where he's doing like you know stadiums and Wembley." Yeah, yeah. And she said, "Backstage, vast backstage areas, there would be arrows on the floor." This is something that Guns and Roses did a few years later, but this is like eighty nine yeah. with Prince, and there'd be arrows on the floor, and the rule was, you know, from his dressing room to the production office or the stage yeah. or whatever. As you're going in and out to do your stuff, you had to bow your head and focus on the arrows. Wow. You weren't allowed to look left or right. And if he should be walking towards you in the corridor or room, if you said anything to him, you would be fired. You weren't allowed to say anything. See, that makes him sound like a wanker. I don't know. I think it makes him sound like a dude. Do you know I wrote... If, if um, you're a rock star and you can't do that... No. You know, what's the point no of being a rock star? Uh, yes, you, yeah, but you like Cannibal Corpse. Are you familiar with uh, the band Thunder? No, who are so they? I wrote a book about them a few years ago, as you know, because you're part of it. And uh, Harry James, the drummer, told me that they happened to be in the studio in LA. I'm sure you know the story. And uh, they were told that Prince was in the building and under no circumstances could they look at him. Exactly. Harry, being the sterling geezer that he is, wasn't going to take any of that nonsense. And when Prince walked past, surrounded by these massive security guards... 
looked him right in the eye and said, hello, mate, how you doing? (laughs) (laughs) And what happened? Well, Prince was sort of taken aback and murmured something and kept walking while these two giant apes who were looking after him just sort of looked daggers. But that was it. But the point is that Harry just was not going to take that. And I love that about him. Listen, I know what you mean about wanker, but that would be for 99.9% of the population. Mm. If you're Prince or you're Elvis or you're Axl Rose or whoever... I want them to be like that. I know. But would you have bowed your head in deference then? Would you have obeyed that edict? Uh, I suggest you would not have done because you're your own man. You wouldn't have done that. Do you know what? I can't imagine me working in wardrobe on a tour or anything like that. Whenever I was in those situations, I was always my own man. My Mm. job was not to follow rules, but to test them if Mm. I could. Mm -hmm. And that's why I ended up getting in trouble so often. Mm. But Axel Rose was entirely the same. You know, you weren't mm. allowed to speak to him when he walked down the corridors. I remember being in Germany with the Scorpions, OK? <laughs> I'm saying Germany, Spain, in mm. Madrid. Well, that's similar. It's a theatre, OK? It's not Wembley Stadium. There are no arrows taped to the floor. It's like Hammersmith Apollo, you know? Mm. And so we're all out in the corridor. I was, I was with Joan Jett. She was the support act. <sighs> so she's done her thing. Mm. So we're all having drinks and chat and da-da-da-da-da. And now it's time for the Scorpions to go on stage. And literally, and this is only people working on the tour and Joan Jett and her band and people like me. So, get out of the way! Back against the wall! Back against the wall! And we all had to, we're all like, we're like this. As Klaus Mein and Rudolf Schenter with their capes and God knows what. Battle armour. coming. Yeah, exactly, coming down, like wrestlers, you know, coming down the corridor. And as they're coming, I'm like, all right, Klaus, you know. Yeah, yeah. Good time tonight. Thank you, Mr. Royal. Rock you tonight. Mr. Royal, all is going well. I had the same experience. I was at the O2 with Metallica a few years ago, and I happened to be on the stage, but not visible. You know what I mean? As they walked off stage, having finished their set, and everyone had to move to one side to let Metallica through. It was yeah. pathetic. Lemmy always told a great story. He'd always say, "I hate those guys. I hate those guys." You know, it's like no one leaves this room till we find. Philip's glove. Mm. Let's face it, that's one of the reasons I became so bitter and twisted in those days is because they all had that kind of bullshit. I remember, talking to, I remember talking to Slash just a few years ago mm. at the Classic Rock Office and he came in with this mountain of a guy as his bodyguard. Mm. And I went, hello, Slash. And he, he put his hand on my chest because... Cause Slash didn't, the, the idiot did. The, the idiot yeah, did. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. they, they have to justify why they're there, don't they? Yeah, yeah. And Slash is like, oh, no, man, he's cool. I thought, well, good job, I'm cool, because otherwise I would have shook his hand. I would have been down. I'd have gone, hi, Slash, how are you doing? And shook his hand. Fuck that guy. I've had this a couple of times. Sorry, we might have to edit all this crap out if we're running over time. But I, I was... Uh, no, I no, went, whoa, 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 whoa. You're always the... telling Ian to edit it out. Right, no, no. This is the goal. All right, look, I was at backstage at Download three, four years ago, and I went up and spoke to Vinnie Paul. Lovely man, was very happy to see me, and shook hands, and this fucking security guard hove up to me and said, stand back, buddy. So I stood back, you know. And Vinny was perfectly nice. It was this tool who was looking after him. And then another time, I was... You know, I told you earlier about uh, the British Standard Time concert with Sabbath at Hyde Park. Me and a friend of mine, Jason, who sings in a band, we went as far as we could. We tried to penetrate as far as we could backstage. You know how you do a stupid game with your VIP access and AAA and all that? And we got right up to Aussie's tent. And outside there was this one guy standing there. And we said, all right, mate, oh, yeah, just want to pop in and see Aussie. Clearly he wasn't that stupid. And he said, uh, listen, guys, um, no, I'm afraid you're going to have to walk away. I'm going to physically remove you. And I'm a big guy. 
and my friend Jason's nutter. So we were laughing about this. There's literally no way this idiot was going to physically remove us. But we're not idiots, so off we went. So you do get this uh, heavy-handedness with the with the security idiots that are assigned Everywhere. to... And it doesn't matter if the rock star themselves is a cool guy. They'll employ an idiot. Iron Maiden, I worked with them <clears throat> solidly yeah. in the mid-80s to mid-90s, mm. late-90s. Every one of their road crew knew me of old. Mm. And... At a show in LA in 88, I was stood at the side of the stage. You'd get all kinds of different things. I had a laminate, mm. and you'd have a little red spot. There'd be different gradations yeah. of access. Well, yeah. I had all the red spots that meant I could go anywhere. Yeah, right. And Dickie Bell, who'd known me for years, he just suddenly came up to me and went, where'd you fucking get that? Mm. I went, Bill gave it to me. Well, he had no right to do so. And I'm thinking, oh, well, do you know what? You're quite right to pull me up on this. Why don't I walk six feet over there <laughs> and everything will be much better oh, because you, you've forgotten who... You've got, like, dementia and yeah. you've forgotten who I am from the other three weeks I've been on this tour and the five years previous to mad, working with this. It's mad. It's, it's utter bullshit. Now, I'm going to steer this back to Prince because he, after the large success of Diamonds and Pearls, which spawned those big singles... Would you not say, Mick, that was his last commercial peak, the Diamonds and Pearls album? Commercial peak now. Yes, I He would. did have that big hit with The Most Beautiful Girl in the World, which I think was something like 95, 94, 94. maybe. Yeah. He did that under Symbol. Right, was that then? Yes. So, uh, was his first uh, song like that. He, uh, well, sorry, is this when he was referring to himself as Symbol? Well, he didn't refer to himself as Symbol. He referred to himself as the artist formerly known as Prince. Uh, mm. People used to say Symbol because... He'd renamed himself with a symbol. Uh, yeah. And in fact, at the time, his record company sent around a bit of software for us to use, <laughs> all the journalists, <laughs> on our computers because yeah. there was no symbol on the keyboard. So we could hit a keystroke and it would come up with that symbol. And then people just got fed up with that and just used to call him Symbol as a piss tape. Or Tafcap, the artist formerly known as Prince. Yes. So he was famously involved in a dispute with Warners, right, was it? And he wrote Slave on his cheek, and there was some massive dispute which went on for years. Well, it wasn't so much a dispute. He was angry that he couldn't just release tons of records. And in that sense, you could say he was way ahead of his time, yeah. because in these days, the whole idea of releasing an album every two years is ludicrous. Mm. You can put out tracks every day of the week if you want to. Prince, like Jimi Hendrix, recorded every day. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, they reckon, when I was doing the book, somebody told me that in his vaults, yeah. they probably have enough material to release a brand new Prince album every year for the next 35 Christ. years, you know. The thing is, he'd just signed a $100 million recording contract with Warners. And everybody in the world, why should they? They don't give a shit what the, the details are. All they know is, so they gave you $100 million... And you're now going to sue them and say you're their slave? Mm. Do you know what? Give me $100 million and I will be your slave, mm. you know. Mm -hmm. That was at the Brit Awards. Yeah. That was at the Brit Awards where Dave, the guitarist in Blur... Drummer. Oh, was he the drummer? Oh, sorry. Got up and he had written Dave on his face. As a Prince take. Well, cool. Prince had got up just a little while before with slave. <laughs> and, of course, that's a very evocative word because to call a black person a slave in America... Mm or to call someone a slave owner. You know, th these are extremely... Sensitive. Yeah. 
big buttons to push. Mm. It's like right now with the NFL and this whole controversy oh, about taking taking a knee. You know, they're they're talking about the NFL owners as being modern day slave owners. So it's a big fuse to light. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there was a lot of criticism for him from the black community as well. You know, they kind of said, look, you can't keep doing this. Mm. Because at this point, you're talking about a guy, hubris. Yeah. You're talking about a man on the precipice. Right. You're talking about a guy who now absolutely loses all credibility with the media and with the public. And in fact, the most beautiful girl in the world, although it was a huge hit for him. Yeah. It was the last hit he ever had. Right. And in fact, once he finally gets released from his contract with Warners and he's able to put out as many records as he like and do whatever he you know all those things he'd wanted to do yeah, and he yeah. did immediately do that of course none of them were hits even though he did actually then use Warners to distribute a lot of these things none of them were hits they didn't have the marketing to, and promotion and of course what Warners has said was true was that if you put out three four albums a year People lose track. Yeah. They, they, the narrative. Consumer fatigue. Yeah, the whole marketing narrative becomes, you distill the offer, as they say in marketing terms. And, mm -hmm. But at that point, he does still, I think, innovate because suddenly in the early 2000s, you get him putting out a free album with um, Daily Mail. Mail on Sunday. Mm -hmm. And the Mail on Sunday is the biggest selling or after the news of the world, was the biggest-selling uh, sort of semi-broadsheet tabloid in the country. Suddenly, one and a half million homes have a new Prince album. Yeah. And off the back of that, he does a shitload of nights at uh, Wembley Arena. And previous to that, had he not been one of the first sort of person to do an internet release? Or an internet distribution? Yeah, I think kind. that's true, yeah. So yeah. he had some uh, innovation in his head or on his site. Always. Yeah. And, of course, the, for me, his final sort of crowning achievement was the Super Bowl, mm. which, if you look at that on YouTube, it's an incredible performance from a guy who is now over 50. When was it, mate? 2007, I think. And what was the song? It was a Super Bowl performance. So well, there was more than one ah, song. Right, it was right. a half-time show. Yeah, yeah. And he's got the full band, the female dancers, and it is pissing with rain. It's torrential rain. <laughs> they warned him of the dangers of electrocution. Mm. They were terrified that these there were these two twin blonde dancers yeah, in yeah. high heels are doing acrobatic dance moves. They were like, they, they're going to slip and break their legs. You're going to slip and break your leg. And he went, don't care, let's do it. The whole stage lit up in purple. Mm -hmm. The sky lit up in purple. And it's now kind of legendarily probably the most spectacular. <clears throat> I think he was 49, nearly 49 when that happened. Mm. And so he had this, uh, he kind of bridged the era into the classic rock era in a sense. Yeah. that It was no longer about have you got his new album. It was have you seen the show? Have you seen the video? Got it. The only misstep he made was when he tried to incorporate rap and hip hop. Wow, that's not the only misstep. For I mean, me, that was the only misstep. Yeah, okay. I mean, a lot that I mean, he released a ton of albums in the nineties and the two thousands, and going on to the other decade. But to me, and I didn't hear them all, so I'm not an expert. But I, they just seemed to be undefined jams. They weren't necessarily dead sharp, pin sharp, focused songs that he'd done so well. Ah. That's my view. I think he lost his hit writing ability. After Most Beautiful Girl. Mm, I, mm, I don't know if I'd agree. Oh, no, that's fine. 
Mm. All right, good. The last album he released, well, he released two albums on the same day, I believe, in 2415. One of them was called Plectrum Electrum. The other one was called something else. I'd lost the plot by then. Well, hadn't we all? Um, and he'd, his backing band was three girls called Third Eye Girl. I believe the guitarist and the uh, drummer were American and the bass player, Ida Nielsen, is Danish. And uh, his manager picked her up from a YouTube video. They made incredible, funky, cool stuff. Insane musicians, looked amazing, of course. And they put these two albums out, which were good, had some sort of late acclaim in his life. And then in 2016, we were all shocked incredibly by the news, right? April 2016. You recall what you were doing? No, <laughs> of course not. Look, I don't know what I did last night. His, um, his body was found at the bottom of a lift at Paisley Park. No, well, that was what he was doing. I recall that. No, I mean, it was. I was shocked because Prince, you know, one of the well-known things about Prince was that he didn't drink, he didn't take yeah. drugs, he fired yeah. band members for doing stuff like that. Yeah. And, of course, he was this incredible dancer. Yeah. I mean, he really was an amazingly talented man. And... He didn't appear to be aging very yeah, fast. Yeah. I couldn't understand. He died in a plane crash, a car crash. Can't be drugs. Yeah. But it was drugs. Fentanyl. Fentanyl, which is now a very popular internet drug, but was originally devised and is prescribed for people with very serious terminal cancers. Mm. And there's this kind of echo of Elvis in the sense that Here's a guy who also doesn't believe in drugs yeah. and yet is able to have medicine cabinets full of prescription drugs. Mm. I think in Prince's case, unlike Elvis, I don't think he was deluded enough not to understand what he was doing. Mm. There was a, a dealer that came forth in the wake of his death that talked about the fact he'd been dealing this stuff to Prince for, for years. Years and years. Can I tell you what I read? And that is that his habit of wearing high heels while he danced had given him hip problems. Yeah, I but, heard that. But he was unable to undergo surgery because he was a Jehovah's Witness and they, they only believe in bloodless medicine. Right. So his only choice, therefore, was to take strong painkillers. Yeah, not fentanyl. <laughs> so I, d I don't know whether that's true or not. It's I, just that may be true. Yeah, yeah. But that doesn't explain to me why you're going to overdose on fentanyl. You know, he overdosed on fentanyl because he was a junkie and he liked being high. That's why he overdosed on fentanyl. He'd overdosed two days before. Ah, yes. You yeah. know, while coming back from a show. He was doing a solo show, just him and the piano. Mm. You know, his days of the arenas were behind him at that moment. Yeah. And he overdosed on the plane. And they made an emergency stop, made aid. They say the plane virtually came down nose first. It was travelling so fast to get to the ground. He was unconscious... They wheeled him into the hospital, hit him with a Narcon shot, yeah. the same one they used to give Slash, and it brought him round. They felt he should stay in for at least 48 hours observation. He wasn't having it. He got them to put him back on the plane, flew him home, and then he started taking fentanyl again. This is a junkie. This is a junkie. And, you know... Oh, Elvis, he, he had to take it because of the pain of his fame. Yeah. If Prince really had a serious problem with his hip, then take the fucking shoes off and go and get a hip operation. You know, he had all the money in the world and all the wherewithal to go and do something. Why wasn't he getting prescription drugs from a doctor? 
Why was he buying this stuff from drug dealers if he wasn't, you know, oh, my poor hip. I mean, we all tell each other bullshit stories. It became as a shock when we heard about Prince because we didn't know. Yeah. Because there'd always been this huge image of him as clean living. Super clean, yeah. Right. When it came out that Elvis was a major junkie, that was really shocking. Yeah. We all just thought he was hooked on burgers and booze. But when the full extent, you know, Elvis had something like 92,000 different medications prescribed for him in the 18 months up to his death. And whatever way you cut it, that's a junkie. Yeah. Prince apparently had been buying fentanyl packs of double-strength, mega-strength stuff and had also had ODs previously. You know, he'd just come off a plane and nearly died. And two days later, they find him lying in an elevator because he's had tons more. Mm. I don't think that's got anything to do with I've got a bad hip because I'm a good dancer and wear shoes. That's I'm a junkie all over it. Yeah, depressing. It is depressing, but... These artists don't become genius artists because they are happy, well-adjusted people. Mm. He came from a broken home. His own mother and father threw him out because they couldn't bear living with him when he was a kid. He went to live with his grandmother. She then threw him out because she couldn't bear it. And he ended up being brought up by the parents of a friend, one of the guys that ended up Andre, playing with Andre him. Andre Simone. Exactly. All these guys are fucked up. Mm. But that's the grit that makes the pearl. And it's a fine balance, you know. I don't think we should ever be really shocked that these guys live lives of quiet desperation very often. Mm, mm, mm. Because from pain comes genius. God damn it, Mick. You've said it very, very nicely there. Dead Rock Stars. Carpe diem, baby. We normally, do we not, give stars out of five for various criteria that we apply to the subject under discussion. Now, is there any debate on your mind that Chris... Uh, Chris? That Prince deserves less than five stars out of five for star quality? No, he was a the true ultimate. star. True. I, I'm going to yeah. say one of the ultimate. The, the mystique, the enigma. Yeah, you know. completely. His influence. Right. I'd say massive. Yeah, tons of musicians massive. sound like Prince and look like Prince, frankly. And I think are inspired by the trajectory and scope of his career. You know, it's, mm. a, it's almost a Mozart, you know, or a Hendrix. Mm. You know, it, it's one of those that you don't have to own his records or, you know, be completely an expert in what he did. Yeah. But at any touch point, at any entry point in his story, you know, you're going to go, wow. Yeah. What was that? Wow. It's a fucking tragedy. Yeah. I mean, even the whole when he was the symbol and he wouldn't give interviews, Mm. you know, the lady that became his second wife, Mai Tai, you know, he he would appear with a, a complete face mask on TV and the interview would have to say, well, Prince, uh, you know, uh, tell me about your new album. And he would whisper in Mai Tai's ear. And then she'd go, <laughs> um, the artist uh, says that his new album is great. I hate all you this know. cock. It's silly. But you see, you say that. I do, though, and I mean You it. say that. I do. How do you take the cock out of <laughs> the rock? <laughs> out of the, um, the cockishness. I don't know, mate. What, I... what, what, uh, let me ask you. Why do you hate it? Do you want them all to be sensible, perfectly... What, what, what offends you? The theatre of it. Right, if it was me, and I had 10 billion quid and 100 uh, million albums, you know, uh, I would still talk to people and shake their hands and say, thanks for supporting but me. That's... I wouldn't say, don't fucking talk to yeah, me. Yeah, but that. that's you. Yeah, but I think you can still be a rock star and do that. I'm sure many are, mm. but isn't there room for someone that isn't? All right, Mick, I agree. Taste for excess. Now, fentanyl aside, was he an excessive man? Yeah, 
Women. Uh, women were his thing. Uh, I think he was completely excessive. I think he was very sensory. I think he lived his life so to the max. I don't know. But well, he definitely purple, lived everything's purple and silver in Paisley Park, you know, that sort of thing. Mm. He was keen on his interior furnishings. He was an extremist, definitely. Yeah, well, that to me is... Should we say five stars? I would. I don't think it does any harm. Death as a career move. You know, he wasn't 27. He'd done his best work. I think we can agree that. Don't know, because we don't know what's in the vaults. I wouldn't dismiss that at all. I think as a career move, yeah. I think he'd hit a mediocre moment in his career as a creator of music. So perhaps death will immortalise him. You know, 10 oh, years from yeah. now, we might be still hearing... We've just this year had a new John Coltrane album. Yeah. A lost album. You know, that just means an album they couldn't be bothered to release at the yeah, time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Prince, like Hendrix, has just such a such a deep, deep cave of material. I think there are, they may well be some big surprises still to come. Well, I hope so. I have a feeling that it's been slightly undignified, the rush with which the record companies and the family and his executors have re-released all this stuff so soon after his death and dug into the vault. When John Lennon died, mm. they re-released Imagine immediately. <laughs> You know, they didn't wait two years. You know, it's two and a half years since Prince died. But there's this massive reissue campaign about time. But why not? It's two and a half years later. OK, my question <laughs> is, would he have authorised it if he'd been alive? Well, no. Well, that to me matters. What would he have wanted? I think that's such a hypothetical question. You know, oh, the right. fact is he's dead. So are we going to go, yeah, but we have to pretend he's still alive and do what he would have wanted? No one knows what he would have wanted other than this stuff was sitting in the vault for donkey's years. How can we know? Or he, right. he wouldn't have wanted that. No, okay, Mick. Prince wouldn't have wanted posthumous immortality. I think he would. Mick, as always, you, you explain it very well. <laughs> now, look, how do we get from Prince, Mick, to our next dead rock star? Well, Prince had a song called Cream... Queen was also a big part of our next artist's life. Similarly, while Prince actually was a horny toad, our next dead rock star had to regularly deal with a little toad. And while Prince famously felt he was a slave, our next dead rock star declared that he fell free. Well, thanks, everyone. This has been another fantastic Seven Digital production. Thank you very much to my dear friend uh, Mick Ball and our lovely producer Ian Callahan. Uh, check in next week. Share the heck out of our podcast. We love you very much. And any final words on the great Prince Mick? No. Let's go crazy. All right. Bye-bye. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.